following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Now, for this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. It's always a worry, isn't it, when I start with that? Um, So usually at Shaw... Uh, What we do most weeks is that we take a passage from the Bible and I would preach on that passage. What I want to do this morning, uh, as we're kind of between series, is talk about the Bible. Uh, More about what this book is, uh, rather than any one passage in the Bible. And I hope that this will then help you and relate to all of the preaching that we do at Shaw, as well as hopefully your own intake of Scripture in various ways, because my desire as a pastor is not that you would all be uh, spoon feeders from me on a Sunday morning, but that you would be self feeders. That this would this would spark something. These Sundays would spark something for you and send you back into the Word to look and listen and learn and apply during the week. That's my heart. So that, that, that we get stirred on Sunday, but it just feeds into your own habits of Bible reading. So I want to speak into this a little bit this morning. And let me start with this. We have um, coming up on screen here a wonderful picture of an Instagram Bible verse. Okay, here it is. Now, you've scrolled past this, haven't you? You've seen this. It's probably one of you put this up. There's a lovely verse from Proverbs. And you notice, that, notice the, the beautifully stylized font. There and the beautiful floral arrangement around the outside. That's not actually in the Bible, but the flowers have been put there. Now, you've seen this and you've scrolled past this. This is a common occurrence on Instagram. And uh, look, this can be really encouraging if you, if you see these verses and you can be edified and you can be uplifted by this, absolutely. But I want to gently suggest that there can be a problem. If this is your primary way, of reading the Bible. Nothing wrong with with seeing these verses on Instagram, putting these verses on Instagram. But if this is your primary way of engaging with Scripture, uh, Jen Wilkin wrote a blog a few years ago in which she, she said this, Beware the Instagram Bible. Those filtered frames, festooned with feathers, feathered verses, adorned in all manner of loops and tails, bedecked with blossoms, saturated with sunsets, culled and curated just for you. If the prosperity gospel offered us all the things, the Instagram gospel offers us all the feels. It preaches good news in part, but we need the whole. It may move us in the moment, but it cannot sustain us through the storm. Beware the Instagram Bible. It shines a partial light. We must know it both for what it says and for what it does not. Wise words, I think. Now, elsewhere in her blog, she makes it really clear. Again, nothing wrong with putting Bible verses on Instagram. Please don't freak out about that. The point is, if that's your entire diet of reading the Bible, just coming across these isolated verses on Instagram with flowers around them, then that is problematic. And it's problematic because it's teaching us to read the Bible in a certain way and think of the Bible in a certain way. And one of those problems is that we're seeing the Bible primarily as a book that's supposed to make us happy. And like the whole job of the Bible is to be this pick-me-up 
for us in the morning or in the evening or whenever that makes us feel better. And that's what we really want the Bible to do is just to make us feel better, right? We live in such a therapeutic culture. We think everything's about making us feel better and contributing to our emotional well-being. And surely that's the reason God gave us the Bible as well, just to help us feel good feelings and have warm fuzzies, right? And the problem with that is, if that's your approach to the Bible, and if that's what you're expecting the Bible to do for you, you will always uh, go to certain parts of the Bible and completely ignore other parts of the Bible, because clearly there are parts of the Bible that are not going to make you happy, right? So check this next verse out uh, as an Instagram verse. You're probably not going to see that one on Instagram. It's Judges 19.29. He took a knife and cut up his concubine limb by limb into 12 parts. Now, that's just as much the Word of God, isn't it? That's the inspired Word of God there, the infallible, inerrant Word of God. But we don't put it on Instagram, right? Why not? Because it doesn't make us feel good. It doesn't give us the warm fuzzies, right? You don't want to scroll past that. That's going to be a downer. That's going to be weird. So we typically go to the happy verses and the great promises and the pick-me-up parts And we end up never reading or even understanding a whole lot of the rest of the Bible. Now, that's a problem. So I want to just share with you today, we can only cover a bit, but just three ways of reading the Bible well. Okay, three things to think about as you're reading and studying the Bible that can help us get into a different gear and read the Bible well. Here's the first one. Read the Bible as an integrated story. Okay, we talk about this a lot at Shaw, but let me give you this, this metaphor. Uh, I don't know whether you, you like doing jigsaw puzzles. Anna loves jigsaw puzzles. I can't stand them. Um, there's, that, there's that moment, you know, you tip all the pieces out onto the table. Like, think about a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. Tip all the pieces out. It's a complete jumble. It's just this massive pile of pieces. And it's this overwhelming feeling of, I've got no idea how all these pieces are possibly going to fit together. And I don't have the patience for it, to be honest. Anna's much more patient than I am. I'm just, at that moment, I'm out. But what is fun is when you come to a puzzle that's almost completed, almost done, and there's just a few pieces left, and then I'm in. Then then I can make a contribution because I can get one of those little pieces and put that. I know exactly where it goes now. It's the last, you know, only five pieces to go, and I'll put it in its little place, and, and we're good. Because why? Right? You know where I'm going with this? Because you can see the whole picture. At that point, got a next uh, photo here. Um, you want to put that up, Dale? Thank you. That is a 2000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Um, beautiful picture. And when you can see the whole picture, right, it makes sense. And you can see how the pieces fit into place. Now, I think this is a bit like how we approach the Bible. For most of us, that book you're holding in your hand or on your device, it feels to you like a big pile of pieces. I think that's how most of us feel. And it's just a big jumble of pieces, individual verses that we don't really know how they connect to each other. And so you might pull out an individual verse of the Bible like this one. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood up and asked to speak to him. Well, hallelujah. What are you going to do with that? That's one verse. That's like holding up one jigsaw puzzle piece and going, I don't know where that fits. I don't know. Is this part of the that tree or is this that hedge over here? I don't know where it fits into the whole thing. And so it's too hard. So we'll put it on the shelf. The real key here that makes all the difference to your Bible reading is being able to see the whole picture. As soon as you can see that picture and, and you can see that it's, it's complete or almost complete, 
then you can pick up those individual pieces and you can find exactly where they go. The thing with the Bible is what holds it all together is not a picture, it's a story. There is a story and there is one story that runs right through the Bible and integrates the entire thing. When I say story, please don't hear me saying myth or fairy tale or fable. This is a true story. It is the story of God's journey with humanity. And it begins in creation and it goes right through to new creation. It starts in Genesis and it goes right through to Revelation. I don't know whether you realize this, but there is one thread that runs right through the Bible. Sometimes it's hard to follow. Sometimes it's really easy to follow. But there is one storyline, the story of God's journey with humanity. And if you can catch that thread and you can follow that story, it will make so much sense of the individual pieces. So it's the story of God creating humanity. It's the story of God's journey with early humanity. Uh, through to particularly the person of Abraham, really key figure in the Bible, and these promises God makes to Abraham that are then passed down to the nation of Israel. And a lot of the Old Testament is the long winding journey of God's journeying with the nation of Israel, all the ups and downs of their history, their ancient history. That's where the, the royal series will fit in to the journey of Israel. That's where the monarchy fits in, the time of Israel's kings. And the story all rises to its great crescendo with the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. That's really the key to the whole story is Jesus. Uh, without him, it doesn't make sense. He, he makes sense of the story both backwards and forwards. He is the integrative center of the whole story. But of course, that, that's not the end of the story. Once Jesus has ascended to heaven, we have the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We have the age of the church, and that carries on into the present. And the story points all the way forward to the new heavens and the new earth that God will bring about one day when Jesus returns. Now, that's the one-minute version. You could, you could spend your entire life digging into that story in greater and greater depth from different angles and vantage points. There's many paths uh, through the story and many different motifs to trace. The point is, the better you know the story, the more sense the individual pieces are going to make to you. The more you see the picture, the more sense the pieces will make. So if you take a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11, that great promise, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Some of you know that verse? So that's a classic Instagram verse. All right, we put that up. We love that verse. That's a great promise. But that's one individual piece. And it is so important that we see where that piece fits into the whole picture. Otherwise, we come off track. I mean, even that, even that one verse, it offers us prosperity. Well, does that always mean God's going to give me prosperity in material terms? It tells me I'm not going to ever be harmed. Does that mean no harm is going to come to my life? We need to see this in the context of the big picture. When you know the story, then you see, oh, that promise, that verse, that fits into the time of Israel's exile. When they were a people who were oppressed and taken from their land and Jeremiah is promising them hope beyond their exile and hope beyond their judgment. And he's saying the time is coming when I'm going to bring you back into your own land. You can see that thing start to make sense. And then you can see how ultimately that's fulfilled in Jesus. And then you can carefully apply it to your life today. But seeing that big story, things unfold from there. Uh, so much more light is shed on the individual parts of Scripture when you can see it in view of the whole. 
So let me just give you one place to go with this if you want to dig into the story a little bit more. The best thing out there at the moment, I think, is the Bible Project uh, for understanding the big story. Uh, I've done different messages on this, and you can go track them down, but I would encourage you to get this app, the Bible Project. You could even download it now if you've got the data uh, while I'm talking. Uh, They've got a video series and a podcast series called How to Read the Bible. And they will, I mean, this is great. Just put it on in the car. Just put it on when you're at the gym. And they will talk you through the big story of the Bible, and they will talk you through the different parts of the Bible and how they fit together. These guys do it in a way that's really accessible, really engaging, uh, quite funny, and it's just everyday language to help you engage better with the Bible. So there's one step that you can take just to go to, an, go to the next level in your understanding of Scripture, and you'll find that the more you engage with this and the more you understand that big picture— then when you are dipping into different parts of the Bible, if you're over here in Ruth, or you're reading Galatians, or you're reading Revelation, you'll, you'll start to think, I can see the big picture. I can see how this fits now. And, and it just makes reading the Bible so much more enjoyable, because you don't feel like you're holding up that individual puzzle piece, but you feel like you're seeing the whole picture. So invest the time in understanding that big story, Bible projects are a great way to start. So read the Bible as an integrated story. Next thing, uh, read the Bible as a library. Now, I brought along a few books here. And let me uh, illustrate this to you. So I've got here Edmund's cookbook. I've got Lord of the Rings. And I've got a textbook on preaching. So we know as adults how to read different types of books, right? You, you do this without thinking about it. So, so I'm not going to pick up this cookbook and go, what an amazing story. I wonder what happens on the next page. There's <laughs> a cliffhanger, right? We don't do this because we know, our brains know we're reading a recipe book you're going to read it like recipe books, okay? I don't, uh, I don't pick up Lord of the Rings and go, oh, I don't, I don't understand these instructions. I don't understand these, these, these steps that it's telling me to make this thing. These are weird instructions. How am I supposed to follow this? I can't see any bullet points. I can't see any uh, clear step-by-step guides to anything here. No, because we know we're reading a novel, and our brains click into novel gear, right? I don't pick up this preaching textbook, and say, whoa, this is just beautiful poetry. Look at the way they've phrased that. Oh, that word, that word some. Oh, it's just so eloquent, beautiful. Look at the way those lines flow together. We don't do that because I don't think I'm reading poetry. I know I'm reading a textbook. So what I'm saying is your brain already knows how to do this. Your brain knows that when you're reading different types of stuff, uh, it can click into gear. The problem is we don't do that with the Bible. Why not? Because it's just one book. Look at it. It's just a book. And when you read through it, it all just feels like it's just one thing. Just reading, 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 reading. It's one book with really tiny font. That's all it is. But you've got to appreciate when you're stepping into this book, you've got to imagine yourself stepping into a library. The Bible is made up of 66 books. And those books will take you around different parts of the library. 
There's a few books that belong to the section of the library. There's a few books that belong to the section of the library. You've got to think of yourself as going to different parts of the library. And in those sections, there will be different types of literature. And when you get that in your head, your brain will start to adjust to a different way of reading these books. Let me just give you some examples of the different parts of the library. So one part of the library is history. A lot of the Bible is history. This is the easiest part because you can just read it as history. So when we do the Royal series and we go through parts of 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, we'll be reading history. And you can just read that as a straightforward chronological account of what happened. Even then, you need to remember that it's always history from a certain perspective. In the Bible, it's history from God's perspective, right? So these kings are not evaluated based on how well they ran the economy. They're not evaluated based on how good their foreign policy was. They're evaluated based on how obedient they were to God. So it's theological history. You need to appreciate that. It's history from God's perspective. Nevertheless, you can read this chapter by chapter as a straightforward chronological account. But if you're reading Isaiah, you can't do that. You can't open up Isaiah and think that you're just reading straight history. Why not? Because Isaiah, what type of literature is that? Anyone? Prophecy. Yeah. So Isaiah is a prophet. And when you're reading the prophetic literature, you've got to expect that there's different things that are going on. Prophecy is written in oracles. These, these sections which contain the words of the prophets, which are the words of God. You're going to expect in the prophets that there's going to be visions that they see. There's going to be dreams that they have. There's going to be a lot of metaphor going on. You can't just read it as this woodenly literal thing. In Isaiah, one of the main metaphors is the courtroom. And so God, he's like the, he's like the prosecuting attorney. And Israel's the defendant. And God's saying, I've got all these charges to bring against you. Come and present yourself before me. It's the courtroom image. You know? You've got to understand that metaphor that's being used. Uh, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel has this vision uh, of the valley of dry bones. Beautiful vision. This is it's, it's not literally happening historically. It's a vision that he has of this valley of bones. And as, as the, uh, I'm trying to recall, as God says to him, son of man, prophesy to the bones. And he speaks and the bones start to come to life. His bones take on flesh and they come alive. It's a metaphor of Israel. Again, if you can place that, in the context of the story, you will know that's a prophet of exile. And this is, again, a promise that Israel is going to be restored after its exile. And ultimately, I think that points us to Jesus, who's raised from the dead, who experiences resurrection. It's that kind of prophetic image. The point is that we expect these kinds of images when we read the prophets. We expect a lot of metaphor. We expect a lot of figurative language. Now, that is different, again, to if you open up the Psalms. If you open up the book of Psalms, what are you reading? Poetry. Yeah. And so you're reading these beautiful lyrical lines. And so, again, we don't want to read this just as straight history. We don't want to read it simply as prophecy. We want to expect that there will be these kinds of cadences in the Psalms. One of the things that you find in the Psalms is the lines build on one another. Often two lines go together. It's called parallelism. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the, the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. See, one line builds on the next. 
And you find that over and over again. Sometimes the lines complement each other. Sometimes they're contrasts. Just that alone will help you start to find your way through some of the prose of the, of the Psalms and the way it's put together. It's poetry. Same with Proverbs. A lot of those same things happen. So we've got to get our brains to think, what, what genre am I in? When you get to the New Testament, and you think about this series we've just done through Philippians. Now, Philippians is a what? Letter. Thank you. Yeah, after months of doing the series, I'm glad that Graham was able to chime in there. Fantastic. It's a letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technical word is epistle. Uh, and so, again, just simple questions. When you're reading a letter, you want to ask, well, who wrote it? And who's it written to? And so as you're reading Philippians, you want to be thinking, well, what's, what was going on in Philippi that Paul was writing about? What's he, what, what, what might have been happening there? And you start to piece it together. And the other thing with reading a letter, I mean, think about this. If, you, if someone sent you a letter, right? No one sends letters anymore, do they? But just let's imagine that we're back in the 1950s and people are still sending letters. Now, you get a letter in the mail and would you open up that letter and scroll through it, just find one sentence, read that one sentence and go, that's an amazing sentence. <laughs> then put the letter away. Oh, what are you going to do? You're going to read the letter, right, from beginning to end, right? Dear Graham, on it goes. Now, you might come back to one particular sentence and go, gee, the way they put that was so encouraging. But you would read that because you've read the whole letter and you've read it in the context of the whole. Why don't we do this with the Bible? Sometimes our brains go out the window. It's a letter. Read it like a letter. That's Honestly, it's that simple. When you're reading Philippians, especially those short ones, I mean, who can't read Philemon? It's like two verses. That's so a bit more than that. But, you know, just read the whole thing and it will give you a sense of the whole letter. Now, this, of course, you can go back. Yeah, I love verse two. I love verse seven. But just remember, the verses weren't there in the beginning. In some ways, the verses are more of a hindrance than a help. They stop the flow of the whole thing. You want to read it from beginning to end wherever you can, and then you're getting a sense of the whole thing. That, of course, applies to any part of the Bible, but I'm focusing on letters at the moment. So just ask those questions. Who wrote it? Who was it to? Try and read the whole thing. Get a sense of it. Another genre in the Bible. What about the book of Revelation? Yeah. Revelation is the favorite preaching series I've ever done on the book of Revelation. I'll have to do it again sometimes. Wonderful. And it's so not what you think it is. It's not a road map for the end times. It is exactly what it says it is, actually, in the first few words of that book, a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how it starts. And that's what it is. When you're reading Revelation, it is a particular type of literature. It's called apocalyptic literature, similar to prophecy, but it's got a few other little rules that go along with it. You should expect a lot of numbers. In Revelation, which is exactly what we find, you should expect a lot of colors in Revelation, which is exactly what we find. Colors are like images. Numbers are like adjectives. Think of it that way. So a number like seven means perfect or complete. A color like white is an image of victory. Even those, There's a lot more that can be said, but even those little, little tools can start to help you engage with a book like Revelation. And again, you can't read it as straight history. You cannot read Revelation like you'd read 1 Samuel. It's a different type of book. You're in a different part of the library. You can't go over here and drag that book with you and think it fits on the shelf over here. It doesn't. It's a different type of book. So as you think about the Bible, let's not flatten it all out so that it all just becomes one thing. Let's appreciate that within Scripture, there is so much contour and texture 
and flavor and different types of writing. And let's respect the type of book that you might be reading at the time. Uh, if you want one great resource on this, uh, there's a book by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's a classic, but I don't, I don't think it's been Im improved on. It's just a wonderful book, and they go through uh, all of the different major types of books in the Bible and help you to get your head around some rules and, and guidelines for engaging with each type of literature. It will get you on your way. So start thinking about the Bible as a library, not just one book. All right, finally, we need to learn to read the Bible in community. We're such individuals. We've, we live in such an individualistic culture. We think everything should just be done on my own, including my reading of the Bible. Now, let me say, it's great to read the Bible on your own. In fact, I think that's really important. But it's only half the picture. We also want to, to read the Bible in community. When you think about uh, the Bible first being written and how the Bible was first received, it was always received into communities. Uh, if you think, let's, let's think about Philippians again. So Paul sent that letter off with Epaphroditus and it arrived in Philippi. And Epaphroditus turned up one day at the house church and said, hey, I've got a letter from Paul. And so you can imagine that church would have gathered around and they would have said, well, read it out. What does it say? So the church is sitting there, and they're listening to Epaphroditus read this letter from Paul. And as they're reading it, they're thinking about, yeah, that's okay. So this is what Paul's happening to him in Rome. And, and, and he talks about Iodia and Syntyche, and they're sitting right there. And he alludes to Luke, and Luke's sitting right there. And they're hearing this as a community. And I can imagine that afterwards, they probably had a good old talk about it. And they probably said, man, did you hear what Paul said about Jesus and the way in which he emptied himself and humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross. Did you pick the Epaphroditus? Could you read that again? Just that little bit. Could you read that again? Oh, man, did you hear what he said about how we're to shine like stars in the heavens? That, that sounds like something I read in Daniel. Should we just go back to that scroll and, and have a look at that? Uh, did you read that? Uh, did you hear where, where Paul was talking about uh, his gratitude for the money that we'd given him? Isn't that great? You know, that should be such an encouragement to us. That wasn't easy for us, was it? We're only, you know, a bunch of baby Christians here, but it obviously really made a difference to Paul in Rome, that gift that we gave. And they would have had this conversation and interaction around that letter. Today, we've lost all of that because we just read the Bible on our own. And whatever I think about it is kind of what I think about it, and that's it. We need to reclaim the practice of reading the Bible in community. Now, partly we do that here. So this is a good start. Uh, we're sharing in this together. And, and there's nothing like reading and hearing Scripture together. But I'm really um, aware that this is one-way traffic from me to you. So we need those contexts where we can talk about the Bible together. Uh, this is why life groups are so valuable. One of the reasons they're valuable. Because you're in a life group, and then you're talking about these things. And you're hearing Scripture and then you've got an opportunity to respond to Scripture. Because I can't make all the applications this morning. I can't apply it to all of your lives. But as you're sitting around together, you can be talking about a passage, as you'll do with the Royal Series. And you, and you can sit around and you can talk about King Saul. And say, what did you think about that? And someone else has got a different translation over here. And they read that out. Man, that sheds some light on, on that phrase. 
That, that really helps. And someone else has got this experience over here. Gee, you know, I've, I've experienced this in, in my life, and that, that really helps too. You've got your own thoughts. Now, I'm not saying it's just a free-for-all and whatever you think the Bible means. There is meaning in the text, and we need to accept that and work towards that. But we can help each other arrive at that meaning, and we can help each other apply Scripture to our lives by interacting around the Bible. So again, little plug to be in a group. Be in some kind of context where you have this book out and you're opening it up together and talking about it together. Even in life groups sometimes, is it true that we can talk about the Bible and we're not actually reading the Bible? Sometimes we're talking about this other Christian book, which is fine, but we may never actually get to opening Scripture and just having this there as a community book that we're seeking to learn from and grow from. There's nothing like engaging directly in the pages of Scripture and letting the Spirit work through the text in the context of community. So find your way into a gathering or even just another person or two where you can just have some conversation around Scripture, listening together, learning together. We live in a time where we have unbelievable access to this book. Like right now in your pocket, on your phone, you have multiple translations of the Bible, multiple languages if you want them. Uh, you have the Bible at your fingertips in so many different forms. Generations of Christians would have loved to have had that. So many would have loved to have what you have right now and to achieve what we have right now. I, I hold this book up, and you don't think much of it. Men and women have given their lives, literally. People like William Tyndale burned at the stake because he had the audacity to try and translate the Bible into the language of the common people. And we stand on the shoulders of men and women before us who have made incredible sacrifices to deliver this to us in this form, whether print or digital, so that we could have it and we could use it. And yet so often we're like, meh, we've got to get past that. Not just because of sacrifices that have been made, because of the quality of what this is, the God-breathed, inspired scripture. But this is precious. I want you to believe this is precious. I want you to hold it tight and value it. And appreciate the long tradition that has come to give, you this, to give you this book. Let's really cherish the word of God. And let's commit ourselves to being men and women of the word. Those who, as scripture says, can handle it accurately. So that we are challenged and rebuked and taught and corrected and built up in our faith in community through this book. So let's commit ourselves to reading the Bible as a big story. Seeing the big picture. Let's read it as a library, appreciating the different books in there. And let's read it in community. Because as the Bible says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for that you have given us your very word written. And we thank you, Lord, this is a living word, and it points us to you, Jesus, the true living word, the eternal one. God, I want to pray even now that you would just light a fire in our hearts for Scripture. 
I thank you, Father. We have this church and we really value and we love your word here, but would you just press that on our hearts even more? God, that we would delight in your law, delight in your word. I think of those, those lines in the Psalms where they, they talk about just loving your word, loving your law, cherishing it. It's like honey on our lips. It's sweet to the taste. God, we just want to love your word like that. Lord, we don't all feel like that in the room right now, but I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and stir our hearts with a fresh passion for your word. Holy Spirit, we want you to speak through your word to us. And God, I pray you'd lead us deep into your word this week. Lord, for those that don't know the first steps and feel overwhelmed and confused, would you just settle in their hearts one next step they can take with your word, one person they could talk to, uh, one clear way of engaging with your word. Lord, for those in the room that know your word so well and have been around this for, for decades and have souls soaked in scripture, would you continue to fan into flame a deep love for your word and assure them, Lord God, that you always have new light to break forth from your word. So God, we thank you for the precious gift of Holy Scripture. We pray that we would hide it in our hearts, Lord God, so that it would change us and conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.